Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. Oh man, God's so good. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, God bless y'all. Uh, I just want to give a couple of quick announcements before I get into the message this morning. Hey, this Friday, we're having a Good Friday service. It's going to be unlike anything you've probably ever been to. It's going to be really amazing. And it's a family affair, so bring your whole family, bring your kids. They're all welcome. Uh, if they get too crazy, we can just, you know, Velcro them to the wall. It'll be okay. Um, but just bring, bring your whole family. Um, we're going to walk through that night of... Uh, Good Friday uh, with, with, and places Jesus went. So it's going to be an interactive thing. It's going to be very special. That's at 7 o'clock on Good Friday. Um, and so we're not going to be able to stream that just because there's a lot of moving parts. Um, so you need to be here uh, for that. Also, guess what? Next Sunday's Easter. It's like, when does that happen? Uh, <laughs> and so uh, hopefully you've already made plans to come. And uh, we're going to have an egg hunt for the kids, of course, during service. And it's going to be a powerful day. And we're finishing up this series in Isaiah on that day. Hey, we can just keep going to 54 if you want. I mean, I'm good with that. Um, but it's been a fantastic voyage. Um, no reference. Sorry, that's where my mind goes. It's been a good voyage uh, through Isaiah 53 uh, with you guys. And so we're going to continue that this morning. Um, is that me? No, nope, wasn't me. Somebody else's Siri. Make it sure. Um, and so we're going to continue on this journey in Isaiah. So, Father God, I thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for what you've done already. Lord, I pray that whatever is hindering us from receiving completely from you, Lord, that you would just remove that. God, that we would stop rejecting your love and your kindness, that we would stop rejecting your forgiveness, Lord, and that whatever is hindering us from fully entering in, God, that you would break that down and give us new life in that area today. God, we thank you for your resurrection, Jesus. We thank you for the moment right now that we're having with you, and we praise you. I pray that you open the ears to hear, the eyes to see, God, and the heart to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So through this series in Isaiah, as I, Isaiah 53 is moving on, actually starting in Isaiah 52, and we're going to be ending up on that very first passage in Isaiah 52 on Sunday, because it is the prequel to all the rest of this. And so you can look forward to closing in that. But we've been discovering through Isaiah 53 who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and what he wants to do through us. Those three things, those three questions have kind of been the format for the whole messages. So who is Jesus? What has he done for us? And what does he want to do through us? Because we know that Jesus didn't come to just save us. He came to, do, to save us and have us work through him, right? He's going to work through us uh, throughout the world. So it's been a good series, been an amazing time. And if you don't know what the gospel is by now, you haven't been listening, all right? Because this every Sunday, it's the gospel message, and there's nothing power, more powerful about it, and I'll never get tired of preaching it, amen? And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 52, 13. It's, we're, living, we're reading out the New Living Translation. 
Um, and so it's probably going to be helpful if you read it from the, from the board back there, if you have a different translation, um, because I'm reading the odd number verses and you're reading the even number verses. And so what we're going to do is we're going to stand for the reading of the word because it's important. We stand for important things. And the reading of the word is important. So I got the odd numbers. You got the even numbers. Let me turn to it real quick. Isaiah 52. 13. Are you ready? Here we go. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence, for they will see what they had not been told. And they will understand what they had not heard about. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and he looked the other way. And, and look the other way. He was despised, and he did not. We did not care. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. but it was the Lord's good plan. Oh, sorry. There we go. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. the word of God. You may have a seat. So it is Palm Sunday, like we said, and we kind of explained it at the beginning of service, but it's the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And it's called Palm Sunday because when he came into Jerusalem, the people laid palm branches down at his entry. And we're going to talk a little bit about Palm Sunday and fit it into this passage of Isaiah 53, because there is a parallel here. In Isaiah 53, verse 12, it says, I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because, and here's why, he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. 
And so Jesus came in like a victorious soldier. Now, if you have any other version besides the New Living that we've been reading this text out of, it's going to seem quite different. It's actually going to sound quite different in your Bibles. And so I want to read it out of the New King James Version and, and, and parallel this because the New Living really just kind of condenses it to its main meaning. So it's a good version. It just doesn't open it up all the way. And so we want to open up this passage all the way so we can understand it. And the New King James Version is a good version for that. It starts in verse 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. So you parallel that with as a victorious soldier. What on earth? Is this, how does that even parallel? I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul into death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Well, if you look at this idea of him being a victorious soldier and you look at the Roman culture and what happened when a king or a conquering general would enter into the town, he was giving these, he was given these honors. This even happened back in Jesus' day. When somebody conquered and came into town, there was a great celebration, right? Because we've conquered the enemy, we've won, the enemy is defeated, we've won, and now we are celebrating that victory. In the Roman culture, there was a thing called the triumphant entry, okay? And so it's parallel to Jesus' triumphant entry. So when a Caesar or a general of the Roman army would conquer another army or another land, he would request this, this triumphal entry into the city of Rome. And so if he was accepted to that, they would do this grand procession. And so I have a picture of it if you want to throw that up there. This grand, can you imagine this? Like here's the conquering Caesar, the conquering general, He's riding in a chariot pulled by four horses. And behind him is a servant carrying a crown, and he's putting it over his head like this. That's where we get the term victor's crown, if you don't know where that's from. If you've been in the church world for a long time, heard the victor's crown. That's where we get it. He's holding a crown above his head as the victor. And behind him is his, his, his army, the legion that, that won the war with him. And in that legion, they're carrying all of the goods and all of the bounty from the conquering lands. And behind them are the slaves that they conquered and they took out. And so here's this grand parade of, of victory marching forward. And this honor that is bestowed upon the victor is what God is, is speaking here through the prophet Isaiah, that Jesus, he's the victor. Jesus is the one we're talking about through Isaiah 53. And if you read Isaiah 53 and you don't see Jesus in this, you're not looking very hard. It's very easy to, to see Jesus in Isaiah 53. And, and this, this idea of a victorious soldier also ties into this idea of him in, verse, in the King James Version and other versions saying, I will divide him a portion with the great. When a, when a conquering general came in, all the, all the stuff he conquered was his. And so this is saying that the father because it says I, therefore I, the father is giving Jesus the big portion. And when Jesus gets the portion, he doesn't keep him for himself. What's he say? Then he shall divide the spoil with the strong or the many. So the father is giving Jesus all that he conquered. And Jesus is then giving us that portion. We're the great, we're the many, we're the ones that are in on this thing. In other words, his victory is counted as our victory. What he's done is counted that we've done. Jesus has won the battle for us. We just sang that song, the anthem, right? He's won the victory for us. We're partakers in what he's done. We get to be a part of it. We get the booty. We get the spoils of all. That's a pirate term, booty. <laughs> we, we get the spoils 
of what he's he he has conquered the enemy. He has taken back everything the enemy has stolen from us, and now he has given it back to us as the spoils. This triumphant entry of Jesus is the same proclamation, but it's a different way. He didn't come into Jerusalem like a conquering Roman army or a conquering Caesar. He came in in a way that these people in Israel would understand exactly what he was doing. And so we see this, uh, we see a uh, writing of when he came into to Jerusalem and Matthew, Matthew, all the gospels actually have the triumphal entry in it, but Matthew 21 is the one I want to read out of. So it says, Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem. They came to a town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. So right across the street, Jesus sent two of them on ahead and he says, go into the village over there. He said, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them. And he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill a prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. This is Zechariah 9.9 that he's talking about. This prophet proclaimed that this will happen. And Jesus is riding on this donkey or this colt that's never been ridden before. Jesus was the first bronc buster threw that out there, riding in the colt, riding into town, fulfilling this prophecy. And then the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him, and they threw their garments over the colt, coat, colt, and he sat on it. And most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And Jesus was in the center of the procession. Now, the Roman procession, where's the victor? He's at the front. Jesus is in the midst of the people here. That's, that's a big thing. You might want to dive into that a little bit. I'm not going to talk too much about it, but that's a big thing. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, Hosanna, which is a term of praise or save us. But they also said, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. You're here to save us. Praise God in the highest heaven. And then the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus is riding into town. He was foretelling of this victory that he's going to have. He didn't have the victory yet. He's, he's basically prophetically walking into Jerusalem, proclaiming that I'm going to have victory here. And it's not going to be in a way that you would expect because these people were wanting a military leader to come in and to wipe out the Roman occupation that so oppressed them. These people were oppressed by the Romans. They were oppressed by the religious system. These people were ripe for a savior. And they were looking for a savior. They were looking for someone to save them. And Jesus came to save them, but not in the way that they thought they needed. He came to save them from the greatest oppressor that there is. And he will come back and save us from all the rest of it. But he came here to defeat the power that held us captive, the power of sin. And so he had to fight in a different way. He didn't fight the war with a sword and a shield and a bow. He fought in a very unusual way. Because I want to remind you, church, Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not fight against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Believers, our fight is not against flesh and blood. We're in a spiritual battle. 
We're in a spiritual fight. And Jesus came to do a spiritual battle that affected the physical. Jesus didn't fight the way that we thought he should fight. He came in the most unusual way. He gave up his life for us. The passage says that he poured out his soul unto death. He poured out his soul unto death. He gave up his life. That's not how you win a war. It's not how you want to fight. You don't give up. But he surrendered his life for our good. He emptied himself so that we could be full. Jesus left nothing on the table. He poured it all out. It was finished. When he said it was finished, it was finished. He became the offering for us. His blood was poured out as an offering so that we could be right with the Father. His blood made the way for us. I'm telling you, if Jesus didn't leave it on the cross, if he left anything out, then our salvation isn't complete. He left it all on the field. He didn't give up. The great Vince Lombardi, if you're a football person, you know who Vince Lombardi is, especially if you live in Texas. He said this, he goes, but I firmly believe that any man's finest hour, and think about Jesus while I'm reading this, that any man's finest hour, his greatest fulfillment to all he holds dear is that moment when he has to work his heart out in a good cause and he's exhausted on the field of battle, victorious. That's Jesus. He laid it all out on the field of battle and he was victorious. And because he gave it all, because he gave it all, he can give it all to us. He is that portion that was given to him, he can give to us. I love Psalm 103. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay planted on Psalm 103 for a few minutes. The writer of Psalm is reflecting on who God is and what he does for us. And you can reflect on this Psalm and think about what Jesus has done, the victory that he has for us. And it translates into our day today. Isaiah 103, one through five says, let all that I am praise the Lord. Why? With my whole heart. I want you to pay some attention here to all the alls in this passage. There's a lot of alls. A-L-L, all. Let all that I am praise the Lord, all, with all, well, with my whole heart. That's another all, right? I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins. How many sins? All. all. That's a lot. That's everything. He heals all my diseases. What diseases? He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love. Intent. I love that. He crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. He fills my life with, that's another all. He, like, he gives me the good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. For some of us, we feel like God forgave some of our sins. Like God wants to heal some of our diseases. God wants to somewhat redeem my life from death, but maybe not. Sometimes we feel like he wants to crown us, but not with a crown, but with maybe a bat or something upside our head. We don't think that God wants to fill our life with good things. Like God's always angry with us. But I'm telling you, Jesus' victory on the cross was our victory. What Jesus did for us, we get to be partakers in that. Jesus didn't do some, he did all. And because of that, we can give him our all. That's what Jesus did. He forgives, he heals, he redeems, he crowns, and he fills. 
That's good. He heals me. He redeems me. He forgives me. He crowns me with righteousness and good things, and he fills my life. And I think when we fail as believers to realize all that he's done for us, those five things, he's done way more than that. But just to take those simple five things. When we fail to believe that he did all, like took it all, did it all, we, in fact, reject that crown of love and tender mercy that he wants to put on our head. He wants to crown us with love and tender mercy, but we're saying, Lord, I don't deserve that. You haven't really saved me from that. God, you can't forgive me from that. It's, I'm too bad. Uh, there's too much things. And that, and that shame and guilt becomes the wedge between us and the Father's love. But that's what Jesus came to destroy. He came to destroy the power of sin. And with the power of sin, becomes, he gets rid of the, the, the power of shame and the power of guilt. That's what his victory did for us. We get to be partakers in all that he's done. That's the gospel. But I still feel like we, we reject his love and we reject his mercy and we reject his kindness because we feel unworthy. I don't know how many people I talk to and I'm like, why don't you come to church? Why don't you get involved? Why, don't, you know, why can't I talk to you about the Lord? And when I want to pray with him, they're like, I don't want you to pray for me. Like, what's the deal? And many people would say this, I, I'm not worthy. Or I, don't pray for me. God doesn't love me. He can't, he can't love me. Or if I go to church, I just feel, I don't feel like I should be there. Like I, I just feel out of place because I don't feel like God would love me. Tony, that's not from God. That's the enemy lying to you, accusing you in front of them. He's accusing you in your ear saying, you don't belong here. You are too bad. God's not good enough to save you. And the problem with that is we make ourselves God in that, in that point. We tell God what's right for us and what's wrong for us. We tell God, God, you can't, you, your sacrifice wasn't enough for me. The cross wasn't enough for me. Like there has to be more. Like, we, like he has to do more or we have to do more. Jesus did it all. He conquered it all. His victory is our victory. That's the beauty of the gospel, guys. That's the gospel. His love for you. His love for you caused him to go all the way for you on the cross. He didn't give in and didn't give up. Last week we talked about that, that we don't give in. We keep pushing forward because there's a joy waiting for us. His victory over sin was our victory over sin. We don't have to be bound by this sin. Sin doesn't call the shots in our lives anymore. When you give your life to Christ, sin's power is gone. You don't have to do what it asks anymore. You don't have to do it. <laughs> You don't have to walk into it. You don't have to view that thing. You don't have to say that thing. You don't have to think those things. God's given you a new life. His victory over disease was our victory over disease. Scripture says to pray, to ask, to seek. His victory over death was our victory over death. He, was re he resurrected on the third day. Scripture says he is the first fruits. He is the first to rise. He is the example. There will be a resurrection one day. And because Jesus was resurrected, we can walk in that. That same resurrection is ours. He resurrects not only our spirits when we come to faith, but our bodies will be resurrected, and they're going to be a whole lot better than this. Amen to that, some of you older people. We are beneficiaries of what he's done for us. The victory he fought is our victory. So I want to, I want to challenge you today. Stop letting whatever is keeping you from receiving from him and accepting the good things in your life, 
whatever's causing that, get rid of it. Ask the Lord, why is this in my life? Why can't I get past this? Because here's the thing. It's like a wall in front of you. It's like the Great Wall of China. It goes on and on this way, on and on that way, 100 foot tall and super thick. You can't get through it. And you're just looking at the wall going, if I could just get past this wall, then the Lord would save me. The Lord would heal me. The Lord would redeem me. The Lord would resurrect me on the day of resurrection. I can fall. He can crown me with tender mercies. But whatever it is is keeping you from walking past that wall, I want to let you know today that wall is made of paper. You can walk right through it. And not only that, better than that, in that wall, there's a door. And the Lord's opened it because Jesus is the door. That wall, that partition that kept us from the Father is gone. He's the door. We just simply walk through. Jesus becomes the way. He's the only way to the Father. His victory paved the way for us. And that's why he became the door. But so often we feel like we're unworthy. And I get it. That's just human nature to feel that way. I can't accept that. You have a hard time accepting things when people are trying to give you something, especially something nice. Like, here, take this. I want you to have this. Well, I don't deserve that. I don't even know who you are. Why are you giving me this? This past couple of weeks, I went to a family reunion, and I met the side of my family I don't really know much. It's my mother's side on my, grand, my, my mother's father's side. And they invited me to go to this, and I'm like, I'll go. I'm learn about my inheritance and my, my heritage. And so I go there, and they're all Swedish people. So they're, they do the Swedish blessing. We eat all the Swedish food. It's really gross. Uh, I don't think I'm Swedish, but Swedish fish is good, but uh, the raw fish, not so much. But it was really neat to sit there and be a part of that family because I didn't know any of those people really. I know it was related to them, but I didn't know them. And at the end of the day, we walk up to this table, and there's a bunch of these books just laying around everywhere. And it was from my great-great-grandfather's collection, a bunch of books. and some books on, also on Sweden and things like that. But there was some of my great-grandfather's collection up there. And I'm looking at all the books, and I'm like, oh, this is an old book. What's that? So I look at it, and it's, I can't read it, and there's nothing on it. I'm like, oh, it looks like an old hymnal. Some of you remember hymnals, right? It, oh, it looks like an old hymnal. And I open it up, nothing on the first page. And on the second page, it says A. Eklund. That was my great-great-grandfather's name. And I'm like, oh. And on the other page, it says Bibleth. It's in Swedish. This is my great-great-grandfather's Bible. And I picked it up, and when I read that, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is so special. This is amazing. I had a reverence for it. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And my aunt comes up who invited me to come. And she says, uh, I said, is this his Bible? And she goes, yeah. I said, oh man, that's amazing. She goes, you can have it. I'm like, I don't know any of these people. I don't, like, I don't, I don't deserve this. Do I need to pay for this? Like, what, what do I need to do? And I said, I can't take this. I can't. It's too special. This should be in, this should be in somebody else's family, not my family. I can't accept this. Like, I'm not worthy enough to accept this. And she pushes it back on me. And she goes, no. I want you to have it because I know that you'll care for it and you'll cherish it. And this is what Jesus is doing for us. And see, we reject his love, we reject his forgiveness, and we reject all that he wants to do for us. And we're like, no, God, I don't think I can, I can't, I don't think I can do that. And he's saying, no, I want you to have it. 
I want to give you good things. I want to bless your life. I want, to, I want to give you life. I want to give you redemption. I want you to walk in the fullness of who you're created to be. That's the beauty of the gospel. This is what he did for us. He's the victor. And we are the beneficiaries of that victory. It's a beautiful thing. But yet so often we reject the crown of righteousness that he wants to give to us. Think about that procession. You have the victor in the chariot. Behind him is a servant. And the servant is carrying the crown over his head like this. And everybody's declaring and shouting, this is the victor, this is the victor. But this is what Jesus, this is the amazing thing. This is what Jesus does. He, okay, we're, we're the ones holding the crown, right? He takes the crown off of us. He takes that away. He steps behind us and he does this. He becomes a servant. And he gives us a crown of righteousness. That's amazing to me. Who would do that? What kind of God would do that? Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to serve, not to be served. And we, as his people, get to reflect that onto other people. We get to serve them. We get to take our crowns off and put it on their heads and say, you're more important. It's a good point. It's a good point. He did that for us. And it's crazy how he won the victory. It's crazy how he won it because he wouldn't, like I said, he didn't do it like we would do it. He did it almost covertly. He became one of us to save all of us. Like he came down to earth and became one of us. Luke 22. I'm not skip that one. I'm not going to go there. Luke 23. Let's do that one. In Luke 23, Jesus is sitting on two sides, uh, sitting in the middle of two thieves. He becomes, like this passage says, numbered with the transgressors. Number one, thief. Number two, Jesus. Number three, thief. He's sitting between these two thieves, and the response of these two thieves are just amazing. One over here is mocking Jesus, and the other one is quite opposite. In Luke 22, it says this. For the time, well, 23, I'm right here. On the criminals hanging beside his scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Hmm, prove it by saving yourselves, and us too while you're at it. Come off, come on, if you're Jesus, if you're the Messiah, jump off the cross, get us off here, and we'll go take over. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Amazing passage. This criminal deserved to die. He was on the cross for a reason. He deserved to die. But yet in his last breath, he, he said, Jesus, I know who you are. Remember me. And this is good news for us because while we still have breath in our lungs, there's still hope for us. While there's still, and you may be praying for somebody to know Jesus. And as long as there's breath in their lungs, there's still hope. Don't give up hope. Don't stop praying. Don't stop asking. Don't stop sharing the gospel with them. As long as there's breath in their lungs, there's still hope for them to know Jesus. So one man denied Jesus, the other man accepted Jesus. He took the crown of righteousness that he wanted to give to him. 
And then it says he was counted among sinners. He was counted among the transgressors so that we could be made saints. So that we could be counted among the saints. He identified with us so that we, he, we could identify with him. What, a, what, a, what kind of love is this exchange that he has? The criminals deserved what they got. Jesus didn't. But yet Jesus took our place on that cross so that we may live. And he went back that which was lost, our relationship with God. That's good news for us. That's real good news. Because he bore the sins of many and made intercession for their transgressors, the passage says. Meaning he paid the price for us. He bore the sins of many. He bore your sins. He took them upon himself. He hung it on the cross. And now he's interceding for us, the transgressors of the sinners. He's interceding for us. Scripture says that Christ is now at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Not only did he interpose himself into this world and become sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he stand, For he, this is God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So he interposed himself as us. Now he intercedes for us. To intercede is to stand in the gap. To be the go-between. That's what that word actually means. Intercede actually means to go between. He's the go-between. So he's saying, when you mess up and you sin, he's saying, look, I've paid for that. I paid for that. Father, don't hold that against them. I paid for that. Don't hold that against them. I paid for that. They're covered in my righteousness. They're covered by my blood. All, G all God sees is Jesus. That is the beauty of the gospel. That's our hope. Romans 8 says this, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. This is that intercession. Condemnation. You know what condemnation does? It brings shame and guilt and separation from God. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Christ Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Believers, if you're still living in sin and you're saying you're believing in Jesus, you're, you're deceiving yourself. You have the opportunity and you have the choice and you have the power to overcome that. You just got to pray and you got to get help. God wants to break that out of your life. And this is what Palm Sunday was announcing, guys. It was announcing his work on the cross that he was going to do. He was pre-announcing his victory, his love for you the freedom that he wants to give to you. Mike, if I can have you go and share your story up here. I kind of got excited and went past it, but it's okay. Mike's going to share a very powerful testimony, and it ties into what I've been speaking about, and so I'll let Mike go and share his story. Shines Christ's light into some very dark places. I went last week on such a four-day event in a prison down by Gatesville, and I'm going to relay a story to you that kind of meshes perfectly with the message just delivered. And as at 8.30 this morning, I had no idea what his sermon was about, and he had no idea what this testimony was about, but God has put them together and meshed them into a single message that I think will mean something to you. We go into the prison, and on Thursday... 
all of the ministers that go in meet all of the inmates. We don't call them inmates. We call them brothers in white. We meet with them, and we go around the room, and everybody introduces themselves. Brothers in white and volunteers, we tell them a little bit about ourselves and go around the room. And there's about 70 of us in the room. So when it got to me, I gave my introduction, said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm Mike, I'm re retired Navy Master Chief and a soon-to-be retired police officer. And it went on around the room, and at the end of the introductions, we went on a break, and one of the brothers in white came up to me with tears just streaming down his face. And he leaned into me, and I, I could feel his tears wetting my shirt, and he was managed to get out and relay to me that he was serving a life sentence for capital murder. He was in his 26th year of that sentence, and he'd killed a police officer. So when he knew there was a policeman standing here and that he had killed a police officer, it was more than he could stand. He broke. And as I peeled him off of me, I made him understand that we got to talk about forgiveness. He was begging me to forgive him for his crime. I said, you know, we've got three days here. We'll get together and we'll talk about forgiveness so that I make you understand what that is. In the next morning, we break up into families, into tables. Six brothers in white, I think we're losing the mic. We break up into tables of six inmates and three volunteers. When I walked in the room the next day, he's sitting right next to me at my table. And nobody knew that had happened the night before. It just coincidentally happened that he and I sat together for three days and talked about the forgiveness of us, our forgiveness of others, and the peace that he did not get is we have to be able to forgive ourselves. He'd been carrying, to use an analogy that Pastor Neil used a few months ago, he was carrying a bag of bricks around with him for 26 years, not been able to drop that load and take it off of his, of his chest. So we talked over the next three days and the light came on for him, and he was able to get on his knees and accept God's forgiveness and forgive himself so that he could move forward on his walk with Jesus. The, the two points I want you to take from this is that forgiveness is important for all of us. How many times have you prayed that for God to forgive you for something, and you walk away feeling relieved, and two weeks later you're on your knees asking him to forgive you again? Even strong Christians, we struggle with forgiveness sometimes. So it's always important to keep in our minds that once we've been forgiven, let it go. We're all carrying our own bag of bricks around, be able to drop it. And the second one is submission to God's will. I wasn't going to go on that weekend. I had almost decided not to go, but I got convicted, said you need to be there. So I went. And it's pretty plain to me now that that may have been the only reason I was there was for that encounter with that guy at that time. Tell me God doesn't make divine appointments. So 
it's, it's so important that we are able to figuratively and maybe even literally get on our knees and put ourselves aside and let God lay our path out for us. Uh, we have so much trouble doing that. The world crashes in on us, and we've got school and work and all the things of this world that are continually bombarding us, and we keep wanting to do it our way. <laughs> and it's very difficult for us to let go. This reinforced for me how important it is to let God take control and leave ourselves out of the picture. Amen. Very difficult to do. Thank you, Neil. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. That inmate needed somebody to come show him Jesus. That inmate needed somebody to represent Christ. That inmate needed somebody who's experienced the victory to show him the door, to show him the victory. I love how Paul writes to the Corinthian church. And he reminds the Corinthian church, looking back, I can imagine while he's writing this, maybe he's looking out his window and there's this triumphant procedure uh, triumphant procession going on in Rome. He writes the Corinthian church and he says this, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Christ leads us as though as through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So while this procession is going on in Rome, you have the horses, you have the people, you have the soldiers, you have the slaves. And while they're marching along the city, people are throwing rose hips, throwing roses, throwing leaves, throwing all these things in front of them. And while they're walking, the horses are treading on those roses and this aroma starts to arise. The soldiers are treading on these roses and on these branches and this aroma starts to arise. And then the slaves, they get back there. By the time they get to this aroma is just thick. And to them... It doesn't smell like victory. It's a reminder of death. And so Paul goes into this idea and he says, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. That's what he was doing, spreading the fragrance of God. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one, a fragrance from death to death. Those are who reject the gospel, who push the crown aside. It's death. The gospel sounds like death to them. And to the other, a fragrance from life to life. So here's my question to you. Jesus is riding in today. He's riding into your life in a great procession. What aroma is hitting your nostrils? Is it life or is it death? Is it acceptance? Is it forgiveness? Or do you reject his love today? I pray that among all else, you accept the crown of righteousness he's trying to put on your head. And you let his victory become your victory. Amen. Amen. Christian and the rest of the teams, can you all come up? I want to close this way. You can go stand with me. Father God, I thank you so much for this word. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the prophet Isaiah. 
who knew ahead of time what Jesus would go through. Lord, I thank you that your word stands strong and the truth stands above every lie. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that today that everyone in here, God, would see what you want to give them and they would open their hands to receive. God, that you would smash down those walls, show them where the door is, God, to open up to your goodness. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that we would just seek after you today. So here's what I want you to do. Whatever, just ask the Holy Spirit right now, what was, what was he speaking to you through this message? Maybe through his song, maybe as he walked through the door. What is he speaking to you about this? And ask him, what do you want me to do with this, Lord? What do you want me to do with this? Maybe you need to give your life to Christ. We want to help you in that. You come see one of our ministry team. Maybe you need help finding that door. You just feel stuck and you don't know how to get out. You can't receive from God. There's something keeping you from receiving his goodness. Maybe you just need help finding the door. They can help you find that door. I don't know what you need. Just ask the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, I pray that you draw everyone up that needs prayer. Right now, God, that you would minister to them, that you would give them the answers they need. God, that you'd heal their bodies, that you'd give them hope and you redeem their lives. And God, that we would come to faith to you. In Jesus' name.